Good morning, everyone. If you open up your Bibles to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Last week, I spoke on the passage in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. We're staying with this, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We finished the Beatitudes a few weeks ago, and now we're into the salt and the light passage. And last week, preached on the, on the message in Matthew 5.13 that says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And after the message, uh, Steve Wood came up to me uh, and said, Hey, I wanted to talk to you about this. I used the word insipid in one of the commentaries that I was reading about how uh, salt has lost, uh, lost its ability and it becomes insipid. And he said, I want... I thought you were going to hit on this idea that uh, salt or sodium chloride uh, has an eternal shelf life. And so the question begs, does salt expire? And the answer is salt does not expire. That salt will be salty forever under a few, uh, with a few caveats. Um, microbes that lead to spoilage and food poisoning, they all need water to grow. And pure salt doesn't contain water, which means salt never goes bad. So salt lasts indefinitely as long as it's pure salt. So I started to look it up a little bit more, and I figured, well, I've got to preach on the light of the earth, but I'm going to preach two sermons. I'm going to preach last week's sermon, but B, and then we'll preach on the salt or or the light of this world uh, after that. So um, here it says salt lasts indefinitely, that pure salt will last forever, but many of the salt variants contain compounds and ingredients beyond the sodium chloride in pure salt. Himalayan salt, you guys know the Himalayan salt, it's pink. The reason it's pink, it gets its color from mineral impurities. Unrefined sea salt contains trace amounts of algae. Iodized salt contains iodine. And table salt, kosher salt, and other types contain anti-caking agents that can degrade over time, leading to clumping. That's why we see salt that's clumped up in you know, restaurants that are old salt shakers. It's clumped up. It's lost their anti-caking agents. They've degraded, so now they've clumped. These added compounds don't stay fresh, uh, fresh forever, so the salt will not stay fresh either. However, pure salt can last and will last forever as long as it stays pure. So when Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth, there's no doubt he's talking about our purity. There's no doubt he's talking about as long as you stay pure. And there's a passage in James chapter 1. People say, what is, what is pure religion? What is good religion? You know, everybody says the word, not everyone, sorry. Many people say that the word religion, I don't, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And they look at this word as religion as a bad word in in the idea of Christianity. And I don't think it's a bad word. I think it's a word that when used properly is a good word. Now in James chapter 1, verse 27, the writer says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And oftentimes, uh, missionaries, they'll have these statements of faith and they'll say, you know, pure religion is taking care of widows and orphans. But there's a comma after that, and the second part of that verse is, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So religion that is pure and faultless, or pure and undefiled before God the Father, is to visit widows and orphans, and to keep oneself from being unstained from the world. There's this concept of purity in the Bible for Christians, and my goal this morning is to help us understand 
what our role is as Christians as far as being pure and also what our role as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is to be the light. Um, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians that I, I'm really glad we've got some high school kids in here uh, and some elementary uh, kids in here because hopefully by the time many of us become a little bit more mature in our faith, we, we avoid some of the relationships that can lead us down the wrong path. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I have it on, you guys have these notes, hopefully you can take them and look them up later. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, the writer, Paul, says to the church, do not be deceived. There's this idea of deception, and that if you are not careful, you will be deceived. And he's saying, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, the NIV uh, version reads, uh, bad company corrupts good character. So it doesn't say that um, bad company ruins good character unless you're really strong in your faith. Right? It doesn't say bad company corrupts good morals uh, unless you're extremely religious and you pray every day. It just flat out says bad company corrupts good morals. And when I look around and I see, and I'm, I, I, you know, as you guys know, I coach the high school team at Palisade, and I see these young uh, baseball players, and I see all the kids that are running around. I want to just talk to them constantly and say, if you guys do not pay very close attention to who you spend time with, who your friendships are with, there is a really good 100% chance that you are going to be corrupted unless you choose friends with similar morals, assuming you have good morals and good character. Um, I believe we can, we can look at uh, this concept of mountain water, and you have pure, unadulterated mountain spring water, and we would all drink it, but then you put some toxins in that mountain water, and uh, it makes it putrid. And it's the same as if you're mixing your friendships and your relationships uh, together that with, with, with people that have a, a maybe bad character. Your good character is going to be corrupted. So uh, we can be pure in our, in our belief system, and we can be pure in our actions. So I'm going to get a little political today. I have the last couple of weeks because I think it's important where we stand in our country right now. And uh, so I'm going to get a little political, and I'm going to read about uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. Is that how you say that, uh, Kyle? Minnesota? Is that, is that it? Or is that what the tourists say, and then you guys all kind of laugh at them? That's it? That's it, too? Okay, fair enough. So the Minnesota... Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan, Democrat, suggests that, don't kill the messenger, I'm just quoting the, the letter next to her name, okay, um, suggests that providing children with gender transition treatment is what it means to be a good parent. Parents, listen up. Suggests, the Minnesota Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan suggests that providing children with gender transition treatment is, quote, what it means to be a good parent, unquote. And a video earlier this month has resurfaced, and it's gone viral. Uh, for those of you that don't know what um, gender transition treatment consists of, there's, there's two main things. It's one, it's uh, medical treatment of gender dysphoria. It, it includes hormone therapy, such as feminizing uh, hormone therapy or masculinizing hormone therapy. So a, woman, a, a female, a girl, would take uh, masculine hormones, and a, and a male would take feminine uh, hormones, and that's one of the therapy. The other is surgery, such as feminizing surgery or masculinizing surgery to change the chest, external genitalia, internal genitalia, facial features, and body contour. 
So Flanagan, who is the uh, current lieutenant governor of Minnesota, made the comments at an event celebrating the governor, Tim Waltz's signing of an executive order rendering Minnesota as a uh, sanctuary state. Um, and this is what the law reads, the executive order 23-03. It calls for a report to be compiled by the Minnesota Department of Health summarizing the literature on the scientific evidence about the safety and effectiveness of gender-affirming health care and its public health effects, as well as the approaches that other entities have taken to support gender-affirming health care services. Other provisions require various health, this is the provision of the executive order, require various health organizations to provide such services and forbid them from sharing information with other states that have banned such treatment for minors. And this is what Governor, uh, Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan said. Let's be clear, this is life-affirming and life-saving health care, declared Flanagan at a press conference. When our children tell us who they are, it is our job as grown-ups to listen and to believe them. She continued, that's what it means to be a good parent. Governor Waltz, in his comments, said, in this state, hate has no home. In this state, love and acceptance is what we preach. So that's what's being pushed um, in Minnesota, laws. And oftentimes, Christians who would stand up against that sort of teaching would be labeled as uh, bigots or hate speech, um, transphobic, homophobic. Uh, they're, they're looked at as evil positions that we as Christians take, and I don't see it that way. I see it as Christians standing up for God's creation for our children, um, of how he created them in his image. And there's a, a goalie for the San Jose Sharks recently. And this is what I would say is uh, how you speak the truth in love and how you combat some of the evil teaching. And I got into a little bit of a rabbit hole, which I was, I was kind of bummed I got into it, but at the same time, it, it just it, it kind of awakened my senses to how serious this is. Um, and remember, we are talking about the Bible here. We're talking about salt of the earth and light of the world because there is a genuine darkness battle and it's happening for the souls of your children and your grandchildren. It is real, 100% real. And this uh, statement that was made from the goaltender, James Reimer, I am now a San Jose Sharks fan. Um, I was a Blackhawks fan. Um, but is that Blackhawks? I can't say that big of a fan. Is it Blackhawks, right? I used to have a hat in middle school that was Blackhawks, but I'm not really a hockey fan. But I am a goaltender, James Reimer, and he said, he sent out a tweet about, uh, it says here, under the umbrella of the NHL's National Hockey League's, quote, hockey is for everyone initiative. So there's a quote that the NHL came out with that hockey is for everyone. The San Jose Sharks have chosen to wear jerseys in support of the LGBTQIA plus community tonight. They had to shorten that. LGBTQIA community tonight plus community. And he said this, for all 13 years of my NHL career, I have been a Christian, not just in title, but in how I choose to live my life daily. I have a personal faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins and in response asked me to love everyone and follow him. I have no hate in my heart for anyone and I have always strived to treat everyone that I encounter with respect and kindness. In this specific instance, I am choosing not to endorse something that is counter to my personal convictions 
which are based on the Bible, the highest authority in my life. I strongly believe that every person has value and worth, and the LGBTQIA plus community, like all others, should be welcomed in all aspects of the game of hockey. James Reimer. I just had a tremendous amount of respect for a man that says, look, I'm, I love everyone, but I will not bow my knee to the, the throne of this propaganda that is coming across our country and trying to hurt children and hurt the world and, and basically take God's creation and saying that it's wrong. So this rabbit trail, I feel like this is what God has called Christians to do is to stand up and say, if you're going to force me to do this, I'm not going to do that because I have one king. And I can go biblical example after biblical example, like in Acts chapter 5, or they're called the salt and the light. In Acts chapter 5, they said to Peter and John, do not speak in the name of Jesus any longer. Don't do it anymore. And this was their highest authority. This was their highest power. This was the Sanhedrin, the religious supreme court of the day for the Jews. And Peter and John, who are both Jews, when they said, do not speak in the name of Jesus anymore. You know what they said? We must obey God rather than men. What about submission to the governing authorities? We must obey God rather than men. Do not get caught up in this concept that because government says so, what if government said that we must kill all babies? Would we say, well, governing authorities said we must do it? No. We must obey God rather than men. And that's what this man is doing. He is not bowing his knee. He is like, he is like Daniel facing Jerusalem and praying to God and not, not bowing his knee to Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he is doing. And so I got into this rabbit hole, and there is this teacher. I don't know what it is with Minnesota. I understand why you guys left. There's this teacher in Minnesota, and she is from Highland Park Middle School. I, I'm sure there's thousands of middle schools in Minnesota, but there's this teacher named Mandy... Um, Brenda said it was young. I think it's Jung, J-U-N-G. But she said she probably changed the pronunciation of her name after this psychotherapist, Mandy Young. So Mandy Young is a science teacher at Highland Park Middle School in Minneapolis. And she is quoted as saying, my students have no respect for authority. And I love that in a person because I have no respect for authority whatsoever. This is a public school middle school teacher that says, I, I love that my students, I love that in a person, I don't have any respect for authority. So she espouses anti-capitalism, she espouses anarchism, and that's part of her, her, part of her teaching. And so every year, when the students come to her class, they fill out this private, um, this private questionnaire, and the questionnaire is, how do you identify, um, what pronouns do you want us to use? And this is a public school teacher, and if we give you these, or if you tell me to use these pronouns, another question is, am I allowed to use these pronouns if your parents are present? Meaning, we can keep this between us. We don't have to let your parents know what's happening here at the school. And so she is part of this major woke culture at, at this Minneapolis school. So the district released a statement that said, as a general rule, Public employees as citizens have the right to personally comment on matters of public importance without restriction or reprisal from their employee. What about that football coach that was praying with his kids at half, at, at uh, what do you call it again on the football field? The, the middle. There you go. He's praying with his kids on the 50-yard line. 
And he has to go to Supreme Court just to get hired back. And yet the Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota place says, you know what, um, we have no restriction or reprisal by their employee because it's a public importance and it's personal comment. So the teacher, Young, goes on to say that education is preparing students to enter the workforce and also learn about nature. Well, I have news for Miss Young or they young or them young or they're young. When you go into the workforce, there is an authority figure. You can't like you can't have one without the other. So this indoctrination that's happening is absolutely insanity. It makes no sense whatsoever. But that's what's being pushed. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, I believe we are called by our actions, by our love, by our truth, to speak that into people and say, no, no, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That's not part of God's creation. That's not part of God's plan. I can get really upset and angry about it and think that this person's completely deceived and either working for the devil knowingly or unknowingly, but either way, working for the devil some way, unknowingly or knowingly. But it's our job as Christians to say, this isn't okay. And I challenge the young people in the school systems. I challenge us in our workplace when somebody makes that comment to say, oh, hold on a second, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't fly. That doesn't make sense. That's against God's creation because we as Christians need to be just as bold with our faith by speaking the truth in love as people that are anti-God are speaking out against truth and love. Is that making sense? Sorry if it offends you. No, not sorry if it offends you. I hope to God that you can start seeing it properly if that offends you because I feel like we are uh, soldiers for God, which we're going to get into here in a minute. So, back to the text, back to the Word. In Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city on a, set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, or your good deeds, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm going to break down this verse. I know many of you have read it. If you've just started to read the Beatitudes, if you've just started to read the Sermon on the Mount, this passage is so powerful uh, when he says, you are, there's so much in the words here, in, the, in the, the original language, you are the light of the world. Just those uh, seven words, you are the light of the world. You are means, in this, the way it's worded, means to be. It means to exist. It means to be the case. So we're going to use the, the you are, you exist. You, you are to be, you are to exist, you are to be the case. Jesus is telling them that we exist to do the following. This is our role, this is our job, this is our purpose. This is what Jesus is saying here, I believe. That your role, your purpose, your job, you exist is to be the light. It's not like an optional thing. Hey, we've got... 15 things you can choose from here, you pick. He's saying, you Christians, 
You disciples of Jesus. Raise your hand if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, someone that wants to follow him. If you're still on the fence, don't worry about raising your hands. But I want you in your heads, think about, do you exist to be the light of the world? Because Jesus is telling his disciples, this is who you are. This is, who, this is not an option. This is you exist to be the light. That word light means it's foes. It means light, daylight, illumination of mind and things. A window or an opening. And Christ also uses light as a metaphor for knowledge. But in the Greek, the word is also used as a metaphor for deliverance, happiness, victory, and glory. Think about that for a second. You exist to be a light for deliverance. You exist for deliverance. You exist for happiness. You exist for glory. You exist for victory. And taking from this perspective, Jesus is saying you exist to be the light to bring these things. You exist, you exist to be the light to bring deliverance, to be happiness, to be victory, and to be glory. If we just can step back 2,000 years and sit at the feet of Jesus and then go to our work day tomorrow or to school tomorrow or whatever we're doing and realize that Jesus called me, Nate Porter, Jesus called me Vern. Jesus called me Brian to be the light to bring victory and deliverance and happiness and glory. That's who he called me to be. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to bring another verse into this that's going to, tie, that's going to hopefully tie it in together. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is writing the second letter to the, the church at Corinth. And in verse 17, one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, in verse 17 through 20, he says, Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God. Remember that. All this is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to Himself, meaning through Jesus, God reconciled us back to Him and gave us, after He reconciled us back to God through Christ, He gave us, He's talking to the church at Corinth, and in one passage it says, as in all the congregations of the saints... He's talking about everyone, and he says, and through us gave us, or through him gave us, the ministry of reconciliation. We are the light of the world to bring happiness, to bring victory, to bring deliverance, to bring glory. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting, again, entrusting to us the light, the message of reconciliation. Do you realize the power we have because God gives it to us? Do you realize the role that God is giving us in this, in this, this sermon? And then this letter through Paul? He goes on to say, therefore, we are ambassadors. That word ambassador means to act as a representative. We have ambassadors to different countries. 
The U.S. has ambassadors, and we go to different countries. You guys have seen a lot of these, these war movies and uh, the 13 hours in Benghazi. The ambassador to Libya was killed, and it was a big deal. They, made, they, they had big uh, hearings over it, but the ambassador to the U.S. was killed there. And that's what we, we are called. He says, you are an ambassador for who? The U.S.? No. Ryan, when you go to work every day, God is saying, you are the light, and your job that I give you is to be an ambassador for me to bring and show deliverance and victory to people you come across. That is a heavy responsibility. But none of you are exempt when you say, I am a disciple of Jesus. None of you are exempt. It's not like, well, I went to church today. I, I, I spent my time in the pulpit. I spent my time in the pew. I spent my time handing out flyers. That does not exempt you from being the ambassador for Jesus. And then he says that God is making his appeal through us. So it is through me, it is through you that God is making his appeal to people. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Help others get into that relationship, that deliverance that happens through Jesus. Now I can promise, I believe, that some of you are going, I need to be better. Go ahead, raise your hand. <laughs> Everybody's like, ah! Hey, I'll raise it too. I'll raise it too. I'm there. When I, when I study this passage, when I'm looking at this passage, and I'm looking at Matthew, when he says that you are the light of the world, you are there to deli bring deliverance and happiness and victory and glory through Jesus Christ, and to show people that, that, uh, that my purpose is that I exist to leave a window of knowledge, of deliverance, of, of salvation. That is, that is my job. I look at that and I go, oh my goodness, I've got a ton of responsibility on my plate. And each one of us do. And I don't think we ought to take it lightly. I don't think we ought to just go kind of like, ah, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I was baptized several years ago. I'm, I'm good to go. I, I don't see that biblically. I, I see Jesus saying, Guys, you, you exist to be my representative here. That's why you exist. Not to just be a pew packer, but to be out there and share your faith and the knowledge of Jesus with people at every opportunity with wisdom. Wise as serpents and gentle as doves. But to always be looking for an opportunity to share the gospel and say, look, I know the world's crazy. I know Minnesota's got some really whacked out people teaching some crazy things, but Jesus is going to win. He's going to come back. We're going to win this battle. Here is what truth is. This is what truth is. When you have someone going, oh man, I came home and I, I heard this about, you know, maybe it's okay that people are believing this, or maybe it's okay. No, no, no. That, that's against the word of God. Let's be, like a, let's be like a San Jose Shark goalkeeper and be firm and be strong and say, look, I love everyone, but the Bible is my truth. And this is what the Word says. It doesn't line up with what they're saying. I can't, I can't be with them. I can't go along with it. And then he goes on to say, you are the light of the world. That word world is cosmos. It means the world order, the universe, the world of men. And I just automatically went to the passage in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, 
when, when Jesus says, go therefore into all the world, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything. And you see in Acts chapter 1, he says, you will be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, you are going to go out into the world, and you are going to teach people about me. You're going to be my ambassador. You're going to be the light for me. This is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. And there's nothing sadder, there's nothing sadder than the end of someone's life that professes Christianity and they took that light and put a bowl over it. There's nothing sadder than that. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. I was going to look at this passage, but for sake of time, I was going to dissect this passage, and I thought the best way to get this passage across is look at the opposite, the anti-perspective of this. And I'm going to tell you a story about a funeral. And it was the saddest funeral I've been to in my 45 years. It wasn't when my, one of my close friends died uh, in a drunk driving accident uh, back in 2001. It wasn't when my best friend in high school went off on a motorcycle and his helmet flew off when he crashed and went into a coma for four days and died. It wasn't when my cousin Johnny got in a car wreck and died. It wasn't when my stepdad died of cancer. Five years later, after four years of cancer, and then he died. That wasn't the saddest funeral. The saddest funeral I ever went to was my grandmother's. My grandma Virginia. Not my grandma Anna. You guys know grandma Anna. That was a, I thought that was a good celebration. But my grandma Virginia, that was a sad funeral. Brenda and I had been married for, what, six months? Not long. And I got a call and said, hey, Grandma Virginia, she passed away. So we were young, and we didn't have money to fly anywhere, so we got in this old beat-up Ford Explorer that Brenda used to own, and we drove to San Diego for the funeral. And we get to the funeral, and my grandmother, Grandma uh, Virginia, was a, <laughs> she was a very, very successful real estate agent, one of the top agents in the United States for Century 21, made gobs of money. She was also a very, very beautiful woman in her younger age. And she dressed to the nines. You know where that comes from? The nines? I'd look it up. They used to use nine yards of material when uh, doing outfits for wealthy people. Just it was very, you know, very uh, ostentatious. So she, was, she dressed to the nines. She was a beautiful woman. She was very hardworking and just very successful with a vibrant personality. And as a kid, I would go to these open houses because she would show houses in San Diego and usually hire-in homes. And she would, she would uh, be a real estate agent. She'd have these open houses. And I would go with her. I had fond memories. And she would give me a few bucks every time. She'd say, hey, go around the house and pick up anything you can see that looks like trash or whatever and make the house look nice because we're going to be showing the house to a bunch of people. So I'd go with her occasionally. And then afterwards, she'd sometimes take me out for ice cream or whatever. Well, she passes away. We go to the funeral. And the place, there's a lot of people there. And, you know, I, because I was part of the immediate family, I was sitting in the, I think, the first row. And I, I kind of remember sitting next to my grandpa, Jack. Uh, he has passed on since, too. But I was sitting next to my grandpa, Jack. And there's the procession 
that happens after the funeral. And of course, the funeral, my, my Uncle Larry spoke, and he's a, he's a good speaker, a uh, good public speaker, and he's, he's very articulate. Uh, so he did a good job, and of course, it was one of those funerals, like probably every funeral that most of us have been to, of um, heaven and Jesus and grace and the pearly gates and everything is great. So the, the funeral procession is happening, and people are coming by, and they're shaking my grandpa's hand, and several people are like, you look so much like your Uncle Larry. I remember you when you were five or six years old. And just so I just remember it so vividly, all this. And my wife's sitting next to me, or standing next to me, because people were coming by, and my grandpa was, was visibly upset. You know, he's, he's burying his wife of 50-something years. So this lady comes up, and she reaches down, and she grabs my grandpa's hand, and she said... I'm going to, I wrote it down, I didn't want to forget, she said, this is so wonderful that Virginia was a Christian. I had no idea. And I immediately had two feelings. The first was anger, the second was sorrow. The first one of anger, I went, how could she say that to my grandfather in a time like this? I'd been a Christian for six months, was very, very uh, active in my faith. And Brenda, we were part of a Bible study where we were learning and growing, and we are teaching people, as many people as we could about Jesus. And this lady says, I had no idea Virginia was a Christian. That's wonderful. It's like a backhanded compliment. And I, I left there, and I just said, it hits me when I die, and the kids throw me an epic funeral. It better not be sorrowful. I mean, I want a softball game going. I want it outside. <laughs> I want it to be so much fun. My dad's funeral is going to be uh, Snickers and Rocky Road and Dr. Pepper. So that's, we've already decided that's what we're going to do. But I want my funeral to be not, I want it to be the last thing that my wife or my kids or my grandkids hear is, man, that's wonderful. I had no idea your dad was a you know what I'm saying? In the same way, he, he tells them, you are the light of the world. Don't, don't put a bowl over it. And then he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I mentioned earlier this passage in 2 Corinthians about being ambassadors for Christ, and that we are His hands, and that we are His feet here on earth. And we need to realize that we are in a very, very powerful position. God says, I, I'm going to give you my spirit of power, of love, of self-discipline. This is the spirit that I'm going to give you. And we've got to understand that that's where He has placed us. He's placed us so that we exist to be the light, so that who may be glorified? God may be glorified. And that's one of the problems of this passage. It says, you know, that they may see your good works and praise and give glory to your Father in heaven is that when we work for our glory, when we do things for our glory, that is a work salvation mindset. That is, I'm going to do things so that people look at me and that God looks well of me. It's based on my, my, my efforts and my works. And I think what the Bible is teaching us is that we are to work for His glory. Because that's what we are called to. That's what He's clearly saying here, is that you are the light of the world. You exist to be the light of the world. 
And some would contend that this is a work salvation mindset, and I'm just the opposite. My argument is that we're not merited salvation because of what we do. We have salvation, and that is what God calls us to. That's what he says, this is what you are. And this is the mindset that needs to change with a lot of people. Some may be sitting in this room today, is that you are a Christian. I've checked the box. But that's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach, you are a Christian, therefore, this is what you are to do now. That's the difference with a lot of teachings. Hey, you've been filled up, you've got the Spirit, you're feeling happy, let's play some awesome worship music, you're a good motivational speaker, and then let's go out there, live our life for six days, and let's check back in together on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. And then you're good. That's not biblical. That's, that's not biblical. If you hear that, run from that teacher. Run. Because that is opposite of what Jesus is saying. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it's one of the most quoted passages in the entire Bible uh, by, by people that believe that anything, well, I won't even get into any, it doesn't matter. This is a very quoted scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. It's, not, it's saying, so you have been saved by grace through faith. Not because you have done a bunch of extra works, and you've done a bunch of things, and so God can say, oh, look at that. Nate's done a bunch of this, and, and Jess has done a bunch of this, and, 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 and Lindsay's done a bunch of this. Oh, we, must, we now owe her salvation. God made it opposite of that because so now no one can say, look at me, I did this. But what does he say? He says in Ephesians chapter 2, he follows up by saying, lost my place, there it is. For we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In those good works, God says, I have prepared good works for you to do when you are in Christ so that God can be glorified. We've got to remember this entire existence that we have here is for His glory, not for our glory. When it's about us, we have missed the mark somewhere. When it's about Him, we've hit the mark. And we're going to fall short. We're going to fall short. It happens. Life happens. But we are constantly called to be a light for the world because the world is dark and the light exposes darkness. And the darkness actually comes to the light or it runs from it if it's too painful because they're scared of their deeds. That's another, I, I could, we could go on forever. Another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this author says this about that. Now, this idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23, is this idea of, of uh, eating food sacrificed to idols. The, 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 the pagans, the Gentiles, they would offer food, and they would sacrifice to a god, and then they would eat it. And there, there's, there's all sorts of commentaries about this, but one I enjoy probably the most is uh, this gentleman here. And the passage is, all things are lawful, 
but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good. I'm in verse 23, 24. But the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I think Steve's probably going to be preaching somewhat about this. You could probably touch on this if you chose to. It's, you could go a thousand different directions with the next passage of Scripture in Matthew. But this, this could be part of discussion of the law. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of you, I'm sorry, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner that you are dis- and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been sa- offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that which I give thanks. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There's a reason why he's saying whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We can get into the food. I'm not even going to read it, but if you're interested, come talk to me after about this whole food thing with sacrifice to idols and all that. But what he's saying, the important part of it, not, the context is accurate, believe me, but what he's saying is whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, I... Uh, am not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. The goal is to bring other people to Jesus. The goal is to get deliverance. The goal is to get victory. And he's saying, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, make sure you're doing it so that God is glorified. I look at this, these, these passages and, I, and I, I keep... I told Steve this morning, I could have gone two weeks, four weeks on the light of the world. I mean, Jesus is talking about, I am the light. And he says, you are the light. I am the light through you. And it boils down to this, this very simplistic idea... That when Jesus says, you exist, that's your job as a disciple of Jesus. If you're someone who says, I, I love Jesus. I love that he died on a cross for me. I love that my sins were my damnation. And I love the fact that he says, I will take your place. I will take your sins upon me so that you can live forever with me. And in return... Give me your life. Give me your life. Life for life. I gave you mine, you give me yours. And guess what? The blessings are as good as it gets. There's nothing better. You can try whatever you want. You can be like Solomon. You can try it all. There's nothing better than giving your life to Jesus. And he says, you exist to share that with other people. That's your role in the kingdom of God. That's biblical. And I will challenge anybody who says otherwise. 
I would enjoy the conversation. But bring your sword. Bring your sword if you're going to get into a battle with me about what the Bible says about us being the light. Because mine's sharp. I'm not saying that as a braggart. I'm saying mine's sharp. Jesus is very clear. It cannot be denied. We're not called to be the day a week Christians. We're called to love Jesus, follow Jesus, to be the light for Jesus, and to keep this wicked world from spoiling, speaking the truth in love. That's what we're called to. Next week, Steve is going to start a probably a series within a series is what I'll call it. We've got the series of the, the Sermon on the Mount and Steve's starting to dive into this uh, Christ came to fulfill the law and, and he says, brother, I think it may take two weeks. I'm going to bet I'm going to listen to two sermons in a row and go, I, do you mind if I preach a third and just maybe add two? Because there's so much information when Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. There's, it's just rich. So if you're really interested in learning about what Jesus meant on a Sermon of the Mount, continue coming here, learn, and hopefully gain some, some biblical wisdom so that we can fight this fight that we're in right now. Uh, and that we're going to be in the rest of our time here on earth. So God bless you guys this morning. And... Uh, Bina, you feeling good? Amen. You guys, make sure you give Bina a hug today. She's made it back to church after some being under the, the hot knife. She's smiling like every Sunday. So, and Brian, you doing good? Brian's got a new nickname. It's Crash. It's not his fault, though. He probably saved some life by, by being a good driver. So, Brian had a, a rollover accident earlier this week and came out smiling, and his wife and kids, I'm sure, are very, very happy as we all are too. So make sure you, uh, you guys love each other because you just don't know. You don't know. All right. Who has communion this morning? Yep, for not.